WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint, where power and politics collide and the tough questions get asked and answered. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. Folks, what a difference a week makes. Last week, we told you the new North Carolina uh, map had survived its first legal battle. When we say the map, we're talking about the redistricting that had been uh, drawn up in recent weeks. And it looked like primaries were going to be held in March. Well, one week later, they've been delayed. The primary will now be on May 17th. It was supposed to be on March 8th. This impacts all elections, all races in the state, local, statewide, uh, Senate races, all of it. It's the latest in a string of drama filled days in North Carolina's highest courts. Joining us yet again to break it all down, Dr. Michael Bitzer of Catawba College. Uh, doctor, thanks for coming on again. My pleasure. I want to make sure I get this right. Um, I, I think to quote you um, from last week, quote, generally courts don't want to insert themselves. Now, I've been, in, I've been in interviewing you for about 15 years now, and, and, and because you, you know these things better than most, um, what happened this week? Well, the general got expanded to the basic concept of we will insert ourselves. <laughs> Right. Uh, Monday was a roller coaster ride, needless to say, of was candidate filing on or off in the morning. It was off right before it started at noon. By that evening, it was back on thanks to the Court of Appeals. And then Wednesday night, the state Supreme Court decided it wanted its fair share. It stepped in and basically ordered the primary to be moved from March to May, but more importantly, to have this trial, this process, play out over the next month. They asked for a January 11th deadline of rendering a decision. And anybody who looks at the courts knows that that is a very quick turnaround, considering that we also have the holidays coming up. So these things move fairly quickly. Never be surprised by a court action, but in general, they tended to say, we will let the process play out. This time, there appears to be an exception. Okay, and, and, and for f folks who watch this program on a regular basis, they know we try to explain this as much as we possibly can because redistricting can be confusing. Um, and what it comes down to, basically, these new voting maps. And, and um, the accusation is that Republicans have designed them to where they'll get about 10 of the state's 14 congressional seats, um, possible supermajorities in the state house and state senate, despite what is a, a state that is, is fairly evenly split, right? Correct. And, and this will be, I think, the heart of the controversy, this issue of partisan gerrymandering and how much can Republicans in the legislature tilt the maps to their advantage, in fact, even supermajority advantage, when it potentially could violate the state constitution's free elections clause. And so what does that say? Well, I think what we're going to have to wait and see is indeed the trial proceed, it play out. Who are the expert witnesses? Is the evidence on the side of those that are challenging the map to say these maps are traditionally outliers when you look at a simulation of different types of maps 
Do they fall to the extremes or are they kind of more into what we would expect? We'll just have to wait and see what the experts say in this trial. But the likelihood is once the trial is done in mid-January, we will have an appeal back up to the state Supreme Court. And ultimately, they will have to decide if this is indeed partisan gerrymandering. And remember, there's a 4-3 Democratic majority on the state Supreme Court which to a lot of people says that makes them in, in, inherently political. Uh, you, you have literally, literally written the book on this thing. And, and lawsuits about gerrymandering and redistricting go back decades. So Correct. understanding that you do not have the answer for this, I'm going to ask you anyway, what is the solution to this? I think we have to recognize first and foremost that redistricting is a partisan activity. It is the most partisan activity in American politics nowadays. And the issue of how the voters have sorted themselves, many of these precincts, 70% of them across North Carolina, vote for one party over the other at 60% or more. So a lot of this is already baked into the system. The question is, how do you design districts that could be competitive and give the opportunity for some kind of representation more so than a 10-4 when you are a 50-50 split state. So th this all happened, and part of the reason this happened the way it did this week is because it was the start of filing, um, which is the two-week period where uh, a candidate for Senate or a candidate for city council or for, for, for state house announced they are in fact running. And there's a two-week period you got to do this. So about, I think, 1,400 candidates managed to get in before this sort of halt was put to everything. What happens with them, and then when does it start back up? So they will continue to be a candidate. Since the March primary was moved to May, everything will be shifted back. So we will have another opening window of candidate filing. Uh, the state board will announce specifically when that will be. But those 1,400 candidates will already be considered having filed for their respective uh, offices unless the maps change at that time. And if they change, particularly for state house or state senate districts, if those candidates no longer live in that district, they have to either file for a new district or remove their candidacy. You're a student of this stuff, so I know you enjoy it. But from, <laughs> a, from, from a civic point of view, do, do you see the way this is playing out, this dynamic of, of Republicans passing these maps and then uh, uh, democratically leaning Supreme Court getting involved and then elections being pushed back and then uh, uh, filing being delayed. Do you see this as an example of, wow, this is a, a functioning, thriving democracy and look how it all works and comes together? Or do you look at this as a person who studies this stuff as this is not the way it's supposed to be? The conclusion that I've come to is that this is the prime example of indeed our polarized politics. And yes, democracy can be messy, it can be ugly, it can be, you know, very much a we want to win at all costs dynamics. I think what unfortunately has occurred is that that mentality of we will win no matter what 
has really kind of taken over a lot of mindsets, unfortunately, in our day and age. And so, yes, this is a partisan activity. Yes, this is political. But when people are looking at things and trying to design a system that will inherently protect one party over the other, no matter what the voters say, that is a questionable attribute of what we would describe as a functioning democracy. That was that, that was quite a way you just put that. Um, <laughs> and it was very detailed and, and very nuanced, but um, I think I got your point. All right, Dr. Bitzer, thanks for coming on, sharing your expertise. We always appreciate it. My pleasure. All right, more Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Joining us now, Charlotte City Council members Julie Eisel and Ed Driggs. Thank you both for coming on. We appreciate it. Good morning. So Good morning. it looks like that the city election will be delayed again. First, of course, because those late census returns now because of that state Supreme Court ruling. Uh, Julie, I know you've said that you're not running. So I guess this means that you're going to be in office six months beyond what you originally were supposed to do. Ed, I know you are running. So I want to know, is this just an example of, of, of bad timing, uh, the confluence of several factors? beyond our control, or, or is this a bigger problem? Is our, our system, when I say system, I do mean a, that very broadly, um, is it somewhat broken and should people and taxpayers expect a slightly more um, in tune, effective way of, of handling our elections? Ed, I'll, be, I'll begin with you. So I think it's a reflection of the fact that the law around redistricting is kind of unsettled. And there seem to be openings to file lawsuits on various bases. The Supreme Court has heard something like 50 cases. And generally, it is found that political gerrymandering is not unconstitutional. But then there was a question of whether racial gerrymandering was taking place, and that wouldn't be legal. So uh, we need to have clarity about how that works. And what is going on right now are disputes about the redistricting process that are not fully resolved yet. And therefore, the Supreme Court decided that we couldn't go ahead with our uh, filing or uh, that we couldn't have the primaries on the intended dates. Uh, Julia, how do you look at this? Is this just bad timing between, like I said, the first reason, of course, the census data was delayed and it's, you can't really have elections when you don't know what the districts are going to be uh, now for a separate reason. But is, is, is this a, a bigger problem? Should folks at home be annoyed by this? Um, I think it is pretty annoying. And to be clear, we at the local level have nothing to do with these decisions. Um, but they do impact us. We've already, we had anticipated the primaries in March and then a, a general election for city council in April. And so we adjusted our budget approval, knowing that you can't work all year on a budget and then have a new council who doesn't understand it vote on it or, you know, newly elected people. So now we're going to have to go back and look at it again and make sure that we can still keep the budget process going, but also the Unified Development Ordinance uh, and the policy making, the policy map. So we, we have a lot of big things on our agenda, and we always do, but they always get timed around elections so that the workload is, is you know, kind of a lot of that is done before people start campaigning. I want to talk about uh, a transit. It's something we've talked about almost every episode of Flashpoint for the last probably two months. Uh, last week, Vice President Kamala Harris uh, and Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg were here in Charlotte. Uh, they're here to tout that trillion-dollar infrastructure bill and use the Queen City sort of as an example of, of ways to move transportation efforts forward. Um, uh, 
I know there was a, a great article I read, it might have been in the Washington Post, but it was about the fact that there are mayors and city council members across the country fighting for FaceTime with these folks um, after this infrastructure bill was passed because, let's be honest, they all want their, their cut of it. Um, is, is, Julia, I'll begin with you. Um, is this a important first step in getting all this that you were on the show probably a month ago talking about all these transit issues, uh, having them here, uh, was that an important first step to getting these projects off the ground? Sure. I mean, it, it shows that they're aware of what's going on in Charlotte, in particular with things like electric vehicles and what we're doing in that area. But they're they're very much aware of the projects we have going on. Um, I think, to be fair, the, the mayor has done a really good job at keeping Charlotte in the eye of the federal officials to let them know what we're doing and what we've been working on. And frankly, all of our transit plans um, really are, are contingent upon having a federal participation. Uh, Ed, I know you probably don't agree much with Kamala Harris or, or Pete Buttigieg from a political standpoint, but um, strictly for a, a local issue like transit um, and, and getting some of these projects off the ground, uh, was it good to see? Clearly it's beneficial. We are relying heavily on federal funding. I was struck by the fact that they indicated that there was $910 million in there for uh, public transit for the state of North Carolina. Yeah. And in fact, it looks like about a total of $8.8 billion in the entire uh, act for North Carolina for uh, roads, transit, and that we need a lot more than that. Yeah. So I'm still concerned about how we close the gap in terms of funding the plan that we have for transportation and transit. We should also say, you know, the state leaders up in Raleigh are going to be uh, a part of this as well. Uh, Julie, you, you and I talked about this last time you were on, but uh, do you feel like we are, uh, by we, I say you guys, <laughs> the Charlotte leaders, do you feel like you are in a better place at all with, with being uh, on the same page as some of the Republicans in Raleigh? I, I can't really speak to that right now because we're still really working at the regional level. And right now, we have to make sure that there is a regional plan and that the regional stakeholders are identified and we know where they stand and what the plan is going to pay for and how it's sequenced and whatnot, I feel, before we can really start to try to um, build support with state leaders. Because what, what are you going to ask for? That's, that's the big question. Ed, there's so much uh, on your all's agenda this year, um, whether it was transit, whether it was the uh, 2040 plan, uh, non-discrimination ordinance. I mean, there, there were a, a, tuple, a couple of huge issues that you all tackled. Um, what in your mind are you as a conservative uh, most proud of? I think the fact that we've tackled the issue of our planning process is a, is a major victory. We had outdated land use plans. We had disjointed plans for water and trees and sidewalks. And we've taken a major step towards creating this comprehensive plan. I'm not in complete agreement with all the provisions of the plan, but I think the work we're doing is, is, uh, is really historic. Uh, and we also do need to have a transportation plan. Once again, I have concerns about funding there and about getting the state to align with us in terms of what we're trying to accomplish uh, but there's no question that these things that we've tackled, uh, needed to be tackled, weren't being addressed during my first eight years on council or six. And uh, I think that's a major success. Julie, how about you? Oh, I completely agree with Ed. I think the hardest thing has been trying to 
as Ed said, um, do something we haven't done in a long time, which is build this comprehensive vision plan. It makes it really hard when you haven't done it since the 1970s, so for 40 years, because now you're really having to not only change regulations, but change sort of cultural acceptances of what our city is. Um, a lot of states uh, require that a, a comprehensive plan be done every five years. And, and frankly, we would have done ourselves a favor if we had updated that, that plan every five years, but we are where we are. And so we've got to get some things done, but really the, the devil's in the details of what we're doing right now. Uh, Julie, you wrote uh, an op-ed in The Observer uh, a few weeks ago, um, talking about some of this stuff, the things you're most proud of since, since as we said, you're not running. Uh, but you, you also said your biggest regret was that uh, we have, a, have as a council often not worked cohesively to have a greater impact in the community. Good governance does not work when you have lone wolves who want to go it alone using divisive rhetoric towards their colleagues and staff. Um, what, were you, what were you talking about? I just, I think it's held us back. Um, we get elected to represent the people of Charlotte and, and not just some people, but we've got to all take tough decisions. Even if you're a district rep, you got to look at the big picture in terms of what's good for Charlotte. And I just feel like we've had plenty of instances where that hasn't been the case. And, and certainly the pandemic has not helped because we haven't been together. We had a brand new council that was sworn in essentially three months before COVID, before the shutdown, and we never had practice of all working together and being, being able to hammer through tough issues um, for the good of the city. And we've got to put the good of the city above all, above politics. If I could comment you on that, sure. uh, it, takes, it takes passion to do this job, to want this job and to do it. And our passions diverge. And we've had a hard time kind of coordinating everybody's energies uh, and, and coming together around, uh, you know, a consensus on some of these issues. So it has been disjointed. Uh, I think the variety of inputs has been healthy. It's been useful to have the different points of view, but uh, it would be great if we could build a bigger team spirit and a, a better appreciation of our common cause and, and not get uh, caught up in our individual uh, initiatives. Yeah, and, and I think it, to that point, Ed, I think you'd agree, it's really hard to do that when you're when it's playing out on social media instead of all getting together and hammering through those differences. It is healthy to have difference of opinion and, and to collaborate based on different goals and, and different perspectives. It's really hard to do that when you can't do that together. Yeah. Perhaps a, a New Year's resolution for council. Uh, <laughs> something to work on uh, going into the next year. All right, uh, Julie Isol. Ed Riggs, thank you both for coming on. We appreciate it. Happy a holidays pleasure. and new year, by the way. Happy holidays, Ben. That's right. Happy holidays. More flashbacks after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Just about every CMS employee will be getting a bonus just in time for the holidays. It's the latest effort to try and get teachers to stay with the district as hundreds continue to walk off the job. Listen to this. Just this year, 871 teachers have already resigned or plan to retire at the end of this school year. WCNC Charlotte's Hunter Signs asked teachers if the, if the bonus will help keep them on the job. 
There's definitely been some ups and downs. Justin Parmenter has spent two decades as a CMS teacher, currently teaching seventh grade language arts here at South Academy of International Languages. I love my job. But the English teacher knows a thing or two about finance and says teachers aren't being paid enough. The priorities are out of whack, that we're not valuing the, the people who have... Um, such a gigantic impact on the lives of, of our children. It's why, in an effort to keep teachers at CMS, the school board voted Wednesday to give $2,500 bonuses to all full-time employees and $1,250 bonuses to part-time workers. In at least a small way uh, to be able to say thank you, uh, to say that we hear you and that we understand the challenges uh, that you faced. But where's the money coming from? The district says the bonuses will cost roughly $48 million, all of it coming from money in the American Rescue Plan Act. The bonuses will be given out in two separate payments, one on December 22nd and one in September of next year, hoping workers will stay with the district. With nearly 900 teachers resigning this year alone, Parmenter isn't so sure it'll work. I think the, the actions of our school district need to reflect that we understand there's a crisis and we need to take some significant action to, to stem that exodus. I'm not sure this proposal is, is going to do that. Parmenter did say that these bonuses are a step in the right direction and it'll help him at his household, but other teachers say it's not enough to keep them at CMS. It's worth mentioning Wake County Public Schools recently approved a plan to give their teachers a $3,750 bonus using COVID relief funds. At CMS headquarters, Hunter Signs, WCNC Charlotte. By the way, the bonuses will go to all full and part-time employees. That includes staff like cafeteria workers, janitors. The only workers not getting the bonuses are guest teachers and substitute teachers. We're back after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Come interact with us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you name it. If there's something you want us to cover on Flashpoint, let us know. And it's, you know what? Maybe something in 2022 you want us to talk about, come let us know. And always, you can listen to our podcast. Be sure to subscribe. And we'll see you back here for another edition of Flashpoint.